we're going to sort of go through two things. One, um, I'm going to talk about being an elder-led church, surprise, surprise, and then um, Shabu's going to talk about being a Bible-believing church. Um, so let's open in prayer first, and then we'll kick it off. Father God, we want to thank you for um, the joy, the privilege that it is to serve you. We recognise that this is your church. Um, we are about your servants. We seek to serve you as faithfully as we can, as truthfully as we can, uh, in the power of your spirit, that uh, by your grace we would see uh, those in the community around us, those that we mix with, those that as a community of your people um, we mix with, who would come to know Jesus as their Saviour and Lord. This is our goal and we know that this is your heart's desire also. So we, may we be your willing servants. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. So, um, as I said, this section of the Leadership Hub, um, I'm going to talk about being an elder-led church. Um, now, there's a number of different leadership structures we know. We've been around church life long enough. Most of us, I think, we've been exposed to different leadership structures in church life. Um, many churches have different leadership structures but still have the same goal of advancing God's kingdom. Um, and I think, like many things in church life, there's a temptation to think that because we do it one, one way, it must be the only way. And as a leadership, we don't look at other churches and think because your style of leadership, the way you do church, as it were, is different, um, that it makes you any more or less valuable to us. Uh, to God, I should say. Uh, I often think the words of Paul in Philippians chapter 1, where uh, he's talking about the challenge of other people uh, preaching the gospel for different reasons, um, and he comes to the conclusion he doesn't really care why, so long as the gospel is preached. And he said, it's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing I'm put here for the defence of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in any and every circumstance, whether by false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. So we look around at other churches. There may be different styles of leadership. Uh, we're in partnership with them in the sense of proclaiming the gospel and uh, seeing it seeing it transform people's lives. Um, just for a few minutes um, this afternoon, I want to share five things that, that relate to the fact that we are an elder-led church. Um, firstly, what does it mean to be an elder-led church? Um, what, therefore, does it look like? How does it work? Um, the biblical standard uh, of those who would be called to, to be elders... Um, what does an elder do, um, particularly in the sense of Canterbury Gardens? What does an elder do? And then I want to share one more thing that I think is often overlooked, um, that I think is a, a, a critical consideration to put in the mix that I'll, I'll share in a few minutes. So firstly, what does it mean? Um, what does it mean to be an elder-led church? Um, well, under God, it means that um, by appointing a number of elders... Um, we're seeking to follow the model of the New Testament church. Um, we read through the New Testament, it was the pattern of new church plants in the New Testament that as Paul went about particularly planting new churches, uh, he would appoint elders to lead, to care, for, to pastorally lead the flock. 
Um, when Paul spoke to, to his um, disciples, Timothy and Titus, that's what he encouraged them to do, to appoint elders um, for the pastoral care of the flock. Um, now, the advantage of more than one man leadership is kind of multifaceted. There's a number of advantages. I'm just wondering if we can do a bit of brainstorming. What's the advantage to having multiple leaders in a church, as opposed perhaps to the model of having one man who's responsible for everything? What are some of the advantages of having multiple leaders? Accountability. Yes. Sorry? Accountability. Accountability, absolutely. Yep, definitely. Sharing the load. Sharing the load's a big one. Yep, yep. Anything else? More perspectives on yep. experience. Yep, <clears throat> absolutely. Yeah, different experience levels is, is, is pretty valuable. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that we appreciate. Um, different people with different skill sets, different experiences, different life experiences um, that help us as a, as a group to be able to connect with each other, that help us in in uh, dealing with different issues that we face, uh, challenges that we face. Um, so I think that, that in terms of, of being a group, all of those things are helpful to us. Um, one of the challenges um, from being a, a group of elders is that, um, is that sometimes it requires a little longer to make a decision. Um, because um, obviously if there's one man in charge, there's one person in charge, he, he gets to come up with an idea and then just follow through and it, it kind of happens. Um, where there's uh, multiple people in leadership, by definition there needs to be discussions had, people need to, need to understand, need to come on board and, and need to be supportive of the process. So how does it, that leads us to how, how it all works. Um, Certainly our model is that we believe all the elders are of equal significance. There's no elders that are more important than others. But what we do recognise and acknowledge is that, that even within the eldership there are elders with different um, skill sets and different responsibilities. So, for instance, two of, two of the elders at Canterbury Gardens are pastors. Um, and as lay elders it would be pretty foolish for um, Alan or myself or Steve... Um, not to take notice of, of what they have to say because they are on the ground. Um, and so we, we try and do that. We consider their, their, um, that they are typically more formally trained um, and, as I said, they see more of the nuts and bolts of ministry. Um, that's not to say that necessarily they get to do whatever they sort of feel is right because combined we believe that we need to we need to take on board the, the course of action that we take and the decisions that we make together. Um, so for us at Canterbury Gardens, it would be rare for any significant decision um, relating to the life of the church not to have the full support of the leadership team. That's the model that we, we like to try and work on. So if it were that there was a discussion amongst us that uh, there was someone one or two perhaps that thought differently, our preference would be to hold off, to pray, um, to continue to work through it together. Um, that's the ideal. Um, there might be occasion where, uh, for a variety of reasons, that may not work out, and if that's the case, then, then typically we would um, come to an agreement and, and move on um, 
in that course of action. Um, once decisions are reached, individuals are given delegated authority to see them rolled out. That's, that's the, the model that we have. So typically it's the pastors. Um, decisions are made in terms of directions, uh, vision and the like. Um, we, we delegate responsibility. We trust people. Uh, we know them well um, to go and, and see things rolled out. And that's why you often, often see from the pastor's perspective um, they take the lead in that. Um, it's not that the rest of the elders aren't involved. It's just that we recognise that they have that delegated responsibility. Uh, nor, nor does it mean that um, there's not an opportunity to um, hold each other accountable for, for what we do and um, where we're going and how we're doing. Um, so if we move on to biblical standard, um, you've all read your Bibles a lot, I know. Um, Timothy and Titus refer to some qualifications of elders just quickly, what are some of the qualifications of elders according to the biblical narrative? Yep. 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 Above reproach. Yep. And it's your own household well. Mm-hmm. Yep. Able to teach. Able to teach. Yep. That's your right now. Well, I'm not going to go through all of them. You, you can you can have a look at them um, yourself, but. Um, the pastoral officials um, record uh, qualifications, and then we we turn over to a passage like First Peter chapter five, verses one to four, where Peter reinforces the fact that um, those who are serving as elders um, ought to be doing it willingly, not because they feel they have to, or not because they feel well. If I don't do it, who else is going to do it? Um, and Peter goes on to say that they ought to be an example to the flock um, through the lives they live, the way they conduct themselves. There's also another verse that's not up there that um, for us as a leadership is challenging and certainly for me is one of the most convicting verses uh, in all of Scripture um, when it comes to fulfilling the role of elder. And it's, it's found in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17. And the writer to the Hebrews... Um, says to God's people, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you. And there's a little, there's a little sentence at the end of that verse that, that for, um, for those who are elders, um, for those who are deacons indeed, in a sense for anyone in leadership responsibility in church life, uh, ought to be pretty sobering. And he finishes the verse with this, because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Um, I assure you that's very sobering. Um, and I don't think anyone that has not been in leadership that has not read that verse has not been challenged by it. I know it continues to, God continues to use it to challenge me. Um, it causes us to, by God's grace, remain humble. It causes us, by God's grace, to remember that uh, he is 
He is Lord of the church. Um, and yes, there are times when it causes us to stay up at night, um, not to sleep well, um, because we recognise that at some point in the future, uh, each and every one of us in leadership roles will have to stand before the great shepherd Jesus and give account for uh, how we conduct ourselves, our lives, how we lead the flock of God. Um, and as, as, we, as we look through the passages relating to qualifications, it's impossible not to read these and recognise that in all of these qualifications that are laid out for an elder, um, all of these qualifications actually, actually relate to what's going on in here. They relate to sound character. They relate to being self-controlled. They relate to having a high degree of integrity. Um, they, as I said, relate to the outward signs of what's going on in the inner man. Um, now, I have a word of warning. Um, there is a real danger in church life of assuming that success in the business world, success in the business world, always equates to successful leadership in church life. And that is not always the case. In fact, often it's not the case. Um, why? Why do you think that might be the case? Why, why would you think I would make that statement? If you're a successful businessman, um, why would I make the statement? It doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to equate to having success in church life, in leadership in church life. Any ideas? Well, one of the first challenges might be that due to your own ingenuity and your own effort and all of the above, you were successful. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the, I mean, that entrepreneurial go for it spirit can be very effective in business. Yeah. And it could seem effective in a church too. Yeah. To an extent, but it's not the right to, way to come at it to start with. Yeah. I mean, those gifts may be abused with the yeah. church too. Yeah. Mm. Could it be a bit of a shift in regards to the view of the leadership model as opposed to people that you're paying versus people mm. that you're trying to humbly lead? Mm. Yeah. An enormously different dynamic there, isn't there, where, where uh, in, in our workforce, I have a boss, he tells me what to do, or he asks me to do things, um, and that's part of my responsibility. There are other people that I'm responsible for in the workplace, and, and the relationship is similar. We come to church life, um, and we look at the challenge of servant leadership. Um, the, the pattern of Jesus um, is not always what we see in the, in the secular world. Um, and we'll, we'll discuss in a few, mo- few moments that there's a real challenge with, um, with leaders that are used to a certain setting in the, in the secular world, bringing in the church life and finding that it's very hard to, to, to be part of a team. I think there's a biblical principle that runs actually throughout the Bible. It starts with Cain and Abel. It goes through the whole of the Old Testament uh, and it certainly is a powerful principle in the New Testament. Um, and the principle is this. Man looks on the outside, God looks at the heart. 
Uh, I think that's a principle when it comes to uh, servant leadership in the church, something that we, um, that we ignore to our own peril, something that um, we need to, to be aware of, something that, that we really need to, to come to grips with as we want to build a godly leadership, as we want to start to recognise other people, grow them, uh, appoint them in, in leadership roles in the church. So what does an elder do? Well, we understand from the biblical um, perspective they're involved with shepherding, they're involved with pastoral care, um, they are involved with setting the vision and casting for future direction, Uh, they're involved with prayer, Um, they're responsible for teaching and protecting the flock. Um, Here at Canterbury Gardens, as as an eldership, we seek to work closely with the COM. Um, The COM are, in effect our deacon board. We seek to work closely with them to support the ministries across Canterbury Gardens. Um, When we come together as a group, um, our time consists of prayer, um, discussing any correspondence that comes our way or pastoral matters as they arise. Um, There are always any number of agenda items relating to the life of the church, uh, relating to its ministries and individuals that require input and wisdom from the group in moving forward. So, um, most of what we discuss are discussed as a group um, and some things uh, progress quite quickly. Some things, as I said, require us to go away and pray and, um, and come back together having sought the Lord's face individually and given time corporately for us to do that also. Um, any questions before I go on? Just, just a little bit more that I wanted to share. Any questions? Well, let me let me finish with the fight, the crucial ingredient that I mentioned earlier that that I believe that we believe as a leadership team is is, is vitally important, and that's in an eldership. Um, it's crucial that we have the ability to work well within a team environment. Um, that is why some leaders simply don't fit in to this leadership model, as I mentioned earlier. Um, those of us who are in leadership roles um, in the secular secular world understand that sometimes you just got to get up and say, you're going to do this and this is why. Um, it's because we pay you and this is what you're going to do. Um, in the church setting, we're servants. In the church setting, people are graciously giving of their own time um, and, and leadership looks different. There's a huge problem in any leadership team when one or more individuals insist on getting their own way. Um, sometimes that creates a lot, of, a lot of turmoil in a leadership group. Um, and this model that we adhere to can fracture quickly where personal agendas are sought where jealousy, pride or an inflated opinion of oneself occurs. So along with the biblical qualifications as a leadership team, we look for people who are team players. Um, Now, it's important to understand that when I say this, I don't mean that we're looking for people that necessarily agree with us. Um, There is that thought in church life that, um, well, you guys are just all friends. You get on well together and, you know, you're sort of just maybe look for someone who's a mate. Um, 
In fact, that's not the case. Outside of before we were actually elders, we didn't probably know each other that well, most of us. Um, we've grown together as a group of people because that's kind of what we want to do as a leadership. We want to grow together. We want to challenge each other. Um, at, at last week's elder, uh, last Thursday's elders meeting, we we heard a uh, we read a document from a guy who's a pastor in Florida called Dave Harvey, and he says this: preserving joyful unity in the midst of disagreement is healthy. Plurality too. Some assume that disagreement or dissent undermines the team and will always clog the flow of joy. But that common fallacy confuses dissent with disrespect or disloyalty. Humble leaders have healthy debates that uphold the law of love. And when they're able to disagree agreeably, this actually works to improve the unity and depth of the team. A healthy plurality means, uh, sorry, must understand that mindless uniformity among the elders weakens the church. Healthy leadership is to comprehend that a misguided deference to the loudest voice or a naive admiration of the lead pastor makes agreement superficial and even dangerous. In essence, as a, as a leadership at Canterbury Gardens, we believe that unity and diversity in our group is a good thing. We, we acknowledge that um, there are some things that we hold in tension, not not the fundamentals of the gospel, not the, the fundamental, direct, fundamental direction that God wants to lead the church, but there are some things that we think differently, um, that we choose to show grace to each other uh, and even agree to disagree on. Following the example of Jesus, as I said earlier, one of servant leadership overcomes the quest for getting our own way. Once we recognise what our responsibilities are. Once we recognise who, um, who, who the master um, is and the, the example that he set. So to sum up, we see the importance of elders to be men of faith, um, integrity, fulfilling their roles with grace. Those who are servant-hearted um, are biblically qualified um, these are key requirements in leading the Church of Jesus Christ. But in case we give everyone, anyone the wrong impression, we aren't talking about perfection. We don't, um, we don't, we don't consider perfection to be in any way part of who we are. Um, we haven't got it all nutted out. Um, we are, as a group and individual, still learning. We know that we're not any different in value than any other disciples of Jesus. We just have a different role to play. We are not always the husbands and the fathers that we believe God wants us to be or that we would like to be. Um, we do make mistakes, but we do seek to push each other to see each one continue to progress in the process of sanctification. That's the goal that we have for each other, um, that together we will lead the church as well as we can and we will continue to hold each other accountable. Um, we'll continue to press each other. Um, we'll continue to be prayer, in prayer for each other um, as we continue on the road that God's called us to. Um, any questions? Any Comments? Any pushback?
Okay. Okay, so uh, the second section we just want to cover uh, quickly, but also um, is this one. We are a Bible-believing church committed to the teaching of His Word to see hearts and wills transformed by it. Um, what I'd love for you to do is look up these verses and talk to each other and just answer this question, what are they talking about on that thing? What does that actually mean? Could you do that for us? It'd be great. Once you've looked it up, looked at that statement, um, you know, maybe just for timing-wise, maybe if you guys, this group over here can do 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, and this group over here do Psalm 119, 9 to 16. And and just have a look at that statement and then look at those verses and just have a chat and say, well, what are we talking about. Alright, so uh, group over there, 2 Timothy, what's the verse say and then that statement there. What are your thoughts? You didn't say a lot? Yeah, okay. Good. I can see you guys all silently, <laughs> quietly reflecting and jet lagging at the yeah, same time. Um, well, Singer made a comment about the emphasis on all, all scripture, like that being the yep. church that uses the whole Bible, rather yep. than parts of the Bible. Yep. Um, and that's what I guess is reflected in the way that we teach. Yep. Is the God be part of the I guess speaks about God's power being present in it mm-hmm. and how it's, you know, the tool for us as his servants to mm-hmm. do his work in the church. Whether yep. it's doing encouraging and like building up or yep. correcting. Yep. yep. Any other thoughts? It's just so important to be in well in God's word You guys, Psalm 119. What stands out to you? There's a lot about like really knowing and memorizing it. Mm-hmm. Like talking about stored up, having it on your lips, um, all that kind of thing. It's very yeah. much a don't just read it, but know it kind of thing. Yeah. Christians would acknowledge God's word is important, but what it's really re- reinforcing time and time again is is actually knowing what it says, yeah. actually having it be part of you, mm. so that it will have an effect on you. Allow, <coughs> allowing it to shape our hearts. Yep. By that 
continuous yeah. uh, emotion. Yeah. And even using words like delight, like it, it's it's not just an obligation or a textbook that you yeah. take in right. the university class. You're delighting. In it. Yeah. Yeah. So when we were thinking about this, the reason for these kind of really long way of saying it is um, every religious group has a book or something that they follow. Um, we want to be more than that, just a religious group. We believe in the Bible. Um, Bible believing meaning that we are not just seeing it as some sort of extra footnote um, because when we ponder on it, consider it, teach it, let it form us, um, um, it, it's committed to everything uh, aspect of our life. And we probably heard it a few times in our church that when we, you know, reading it or thinking on it, it's as if we're hearing the audible word of God speaking to us through these words and letters. Um, and, yeah, like you guys mentioned earlier, the hearts and wills have been very important for us. So... Um, I grew up in a very strong Bible church, very helpful, committed, you know, changed my life. But the other flip side to it is also it can be just about the book to the point that you forget it's about the heart that needs to change through the power of the Spirit that will help change the will. Um, so that's one of the reasons why I put that to be transformed by God's Word. So um, what it says, it's not just because we ought to do it, because God's working through us through His Spirit. That's one of the reasons why. We put that in there. Um, Sam, can you just flick... Oh, sorry, before I go on, any questions? No? Um, so often when I'm doing this kind of stuff, it's always good to hear what other people are saying because they always say it better than me. This is one person who said it really well. If you can just flick it to the next one, mate, and just press play. Nope. On the screen. Christians are aware that the culture is shifting around us and that it's becoming increasingly difficult to call yourself a Christian. And I believe that as a result of these pressures, we have a growing awareness of the importance of knowing our sacred text. Uh, but within the church, I think what we're seeing is a full-blown Bible literacy crisis. We have people who have been in the church their entire lives who only have a casual relationship with their sacred text. And I believe that if the church is to remain the strong voice that it needs to, we're going to need to get closer to the Bible than we have been in perhaps the last several decades. If you look at the research on this, it shows that uh, less than 50% of adults can name all four of the Gospels. Uh, I think it's 60% of all adults can't name more than five of the Ten Commandments. And you may say, well, why does that even matter? Like, why do we need to have that kind of knowledge of our text? And I would say that when attacks come against what we believe, the first line of defense that we have is knowing whether our own text is being used in a way that is pulling something out of context. And in order to understand whether something's being used in context or not, we have to have firsthand knowledge of what the text says. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking, man, I don't know that I could name uh, what happened on the fourth day of creation. I don't know that I could name any of the 12 disciples if I were pressed here. Maybe I could get three or four of them, uh, and, and then it would kind of trail off into an awkward silence. My encouragement to you would be it's time to start, because this is going to be an increasingly uh, pressure-packed area within our culture of do you even know what the Bible says? And if we're going to be those who are able to 
offer a reason for what we believe, it will mean that we need to be those who love the Bible and thereby the God of the Bible in a way that perhaps in the last 30 or 40 years we've lost track of. I think we can get it back, and I think that it's time for us to start. Thanks, Sam. Can you stick on to the next one, mate? This is Jen Milken. She's a um, teacher in Village Church in the States. Um, and this is one of the reasons why we're committed to preaching through the Bible on Sundays here. Uh, last week, um, no, the week before, anyway, a couple of weeks ago, I think, uh, someone came up to me um, in our church who's been coming to our church for a long time. Um, they came up to me and said, Oh, you know, Shabir, I'm not really keen about you guys preaching books of the Bible. Like, it just feels like same old message, like can we have some variety and so on. Um, and this, this is a while ago, they said that, I said, look, you know, we've kind of committed to this and this is where we're at. Anyway, last week, last week, anyway, however long, they came up to me and said, uh, I'm really glad that we preached through the books of the Bible, because uh, God's been using judges to change their lives. And that's God in his word, um, and that's one of the reasons why we do that. And this is why we as a church want to keep growing. Uh, helping you as leaders uh, to be shaped by God's word, both personally, weekly, monthly, and yearly. One obviously thing is the uh, preaching on Sundays. We've got you know uh, the different services, small groups, um, but we're open to ideas. So if you've got ideas and suggestions, you know, of helping God's word become alive for people, please do speak up. Um, that'd be really helpful. Any questions? Before you were saying how. There's often that disconnect between knowing and being transformed by mm. it. I know it's a very big question, but um, just briefly, what what do you think is like a solution? Um, I guess uh, philosophically and theologically, where we've landed as a church is probably to be able to preach the gospel continuously, both to those who are Christians and non-Christians. That connects the dots to be able to have God's word transform not just head knowledge but heart knowledge. Does that help? Does that answer the question? No? I think one thing that happens at the young adult service, it's really good to hear other people tell their faith stories. The testimonies? I think, yep. I think that helps um, create that translation, yep. seeing it walked out in other people's lives. Yeah. Yep. And we do want to provide tools, I think, you know, like memorization and Bible study material and all those are part of the tools aspect. Um, yeah, we, there is a, there's an element that's out of our hands. You know, this person who came and talked to me last week, like a few, you know, a while back they were like totally against it. Now they're like, you know, that's the spirit of the Lord just working in them. So it's a tension that we try to do better in both, I guess. Yeah. Anything else? Everyone's fading. So, no? Yep, good. Cool. Um, can you flick to the next slide, mate? And just press play.
Uh, you can probably stop that, mate. Thanks. Every time I watch that, I tear up because um, I can go to Kurong today, or maybe not on Sundays, on Monday, and I can go to the Bible section, and I am spoilt for choice. Like, uh, and then nowadays, you know, I can download any version anywhere, anytime. Um, and uh, I would just implore us as leaders. Uh, to see God's word as life source. And what you're seeing is they're just getting a physical copy, but you saw that feeling of them realize this is God's word. Like we, there's, there's honor and value to it. Um, and we pray as a church, as a leadership team, all of you here, and lead us to come and as a church we'll see God's word as it is uh, for his glory. So let me pray um, and we can, we can be dismissed. Uh, Father, we just thank you for this time together. Uh, we thank you for uh, those who are able to make it today and others who are, uh, who are unable. We thank you for this leadership hub. We pray that you'll continue to shape it, uh, that as Mike has shared, as those who are in eldership will be uh, elders uh, led in, leading in humility, empowered by your spirit. We pray that we will see uh, your word not just as a book, but the very uh, life source to our lives, both individually and corporately. We need you to do that for us through your spirit. Um, we pray this in your name. Amen.